Historically, praying communities, churches, and especially houses of prayer, they've always attracted musicians, singers, and songwriters. They get involved on teams, and sadly, many times they don't feel understood or things become too difficult for them to the point where they end up quitting, a lot of them. Today, we're joined by a guest, someone who has spent a lot of time with musicians and who has also spent some time in the House of Prayer to help us get into the heart and the mind of the creatives and how we can create a greenhouse for them to thrive in our House of Prayer praying community. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan. And I'm Jehu. So today we are joined today by two guests. We got Joel Augustine back with us for a second week in a row. Hello, hello. And we are joined with our good friend, Alyssa Rempel. Hello. Hello, Alyssa. So we had Joel on with us last week, and we're not going to get him to reintroduce himself. You just go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Uh, but we are going to introduce our other guest, Alyssa Rempel. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'll uh, I'll tell you about my, my journey, I guess, into the world of musicians. Absolutely. Uh, I've always liked music, any kind of music. I loved radio. I, I was the one who made mixtapes back in the day, so it's dating myself a bit, but tons and tons give them away to friends. I would be in awe of my parents' vinyl collection. And then one day I you know, went to university and they had a radio station and I thought, this is cool. Like They're just starting up. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to try to get a show because I'd, I'd become a Christian about a year previous. And that was right when DC Talk, Jars of Clay were big. <laughs> so I thought, that's I'm going to let the world know about them. So I got a radio show so that uh, the station started uh, September 1998. So I had the show for 18 years. Wow. And it would be 21 years, actually, if I continued but uh, the joke was always, one day the show is going to be as old as the students that are coming into first year. And I was successful. Uh, I was also involved in the local band scene. There was tons of Southern Manitoba punk rock bands, just normal rock. Uh, back in the day, that's when Starfield was starting, TFK, like lots of baby bands. And then at the same time, there was the Youth Encounter Conference at Prov. There was the YC Winnipeg, the Youth Conference here. Uh, so I was on those committees for about five, six years. And then I also was able to work for the Billy Graham uh, Association twice when I came here, 05 and 2010, uh, doing band stuff too. Awesome. So today's topic, we're actually talking about caring for the creatives. So you're like, this is why we have you on today, because you sound like a, per- a perfect person to have this conversation with. And Joel being someone who who cares for the creatives in the House of Prayer context, we just thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to have you both on, having a bit of a conversation. So, Alyssa, maybe we, can we get you to actually define what you believe a creative actually is? Yes. Well, I'm I'm also, I uh, have a background in graphic design. So not only am I a creative uh, myself, I wouldn't, although call myself a musician, but um, just the ability to almost like think and dream uh, and start something new. I mean, goodness, it could, it could carry on with culinary industry, like the music and whatnot. I mean, designing, graphic design, uh, physical design. All I mean, there's so many places that you could be the creative, like starting something new, even um, making it better, growing, changing, just keep on growing, living. 
So maybe it's even easier to say what would not be something that's that's a creative. Like, if what would be the opposite of no, no creative? Well, not okay. no creative. <laughs> no, not, but, what's but, a known? When you're when you're using <laughs> yeah. that definition, it makes me hear that a creative is somebody who's kind of pioneering, who's looking to do something innovative and and first, yeah. Versus somebody That'd who's a- content content <laughs> to kind of do maintenance, like. Um, Do you think that's fair? That's almost first uh, describing a forerunner, right? You want to be pioneering. When I was in graphic design and even some of the musicians I listened to, it's the, you know, you'd almost feel bad if you're using somebody else's work or, and yet you have to get inspired somewhere, right? So we would always say, show us designs or show us music that you like that inspires you to create. And then we can create a better whether it be design, a better song, a better environment for you. So you're it's almost like you're constantly creating. Um, so the opposite would just be stagnant, like, <laughs> I don't know, dead in the water, you know, nothing. I mean, for I, right now I'm a horticulturalist. So for me, I would say winter mm. versus spring. So we're talking about caring for the creatives. Mm-hmm. So why do they need to be cared for? Like quite often when the creatives are in, are in the church, whether mm-hmm. they be musicians, painters, or dancers, quite often they feel neglected with what they're doing in the church. Why do you think that is like, Joel, do you have any examples of people that have come into a house of prayer setting that are creatives that feel neglected by the regular structure of, of a church or house of prayer setting? I feel that with those creatives, uh, where they might feel that they've been neglected or felt left out. Um, it might have just be even environmentally. You know, I'm thinking like even our own context where, you know, uh, people want to dance or they want to flag or they want to paint or, they, you know, then there's just no room. There's no room for people to actually express themselves. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think that... Um, in our in in certain contexts in in churches or wherever in, in certain ministries they they're just it's unfortunately there's just no actual outlet for it in like the physically you mean there's physical, no physical space for flagging in our building yes now Alyssa, you've probably had people that have gone through the church system mm-hmm. uh, maybe some that have been on the fringe that just don't feel like yes. they have a place within that structure can you yeah. can you speak to that a little bit Uh, I think Winnipeg is so diverse where we have several different denominations, several different churches who express both music and worship differently. So whether it be some churches which are quote-unquote old-fashioned, where you don't even have any electric instruments, let alone drums, or to the complete opposite where it would be, you know, full-blown electric everything. You'd have the PowerPoint, you'd have the smoke, the lights, you'd have everything, right? And so, and yet people will come at every point and say, well, that that's not really me. So whether it be as a musician or as a worshiper to say, that doesn't really, that's not how I want to worship, or maybe those songs aren't comfortable um, versus the sound and lights where I can't even hear myself or nor can I see whoever is next to me, right? We have many different faith communities. And it's like, how do you reflect this in only, what, 20 minutes, half an hour in a regular church setting each week, only one day a week for half an hour, right? That's that's putting a lot of pressure. If there's a worship pastor, the worship team up there, that's a lot of pressure on that one person to say, you know, who is the congregation? Uh, how can I accurately reflect not even like maybe what they're going through or what the sermon title is? You know, how can, how can I do this? Do I need to be trendy? Do I need to go towards the senior demographic? It, it's a lot of pressure, and I don't think you can please anyone, whether you're the musician or the audience. So it seems like there's actually a lot more pressure with being a creative in 
in a church community than there is if they were just to do it as like a secular kind of setting. Yeah, I think um, for as long as I've been in the industry, and especially now because there's all sorts of social media where you can just you can just release a few hit singles on iTunes or whatnot. Um, but back in the day, to just to record your own album, um, being indie is easy. But once you get signed to that label, you have to write music that matches the label. You have to make sure that your your songs get radio play. You have to make sure, depending on the label, that they have the word Jesus or God in them. That is mandate for a Christian uh, recording label in Nashville. So that's why there's the indie, right? There was like Tooth and Nail. There was all these small little record labels where you could sort of, it was it was very odd, right? It was the, well, we're Christian, but we're not writing Christian music. But what is that? You know, is that the content? Is that who I am? Is that the marketing? And yet now you can just have, you know, one song. And I think that's quite North American. I talked to several artists, whether they be from South Africa, Australia, and they said, you know what, we don't actually have just a Christian radio station or a Christian label. It's just music. And we have radio stations that play music. And that's, you know, that's how it is. I mean, and and it's every year, every um, musician that comes out, it's like, well, what does it mean to be a Christian artist? Am I a Christian graphic designer or a Christian horticulturalist? You know, we've we've put our faith um, as like an adjective onto who we are. And so that's why I never like to say I have a Christian radio show because then people are like, oh, oh no, that, you know, you get all sorts of preconceived notions into your head. And I would say I have a faith-based radio show and it reflects my faith. I think what you're saying there, um, it maybe is just our North American context, but I know for myself, if I am ever just sort of out and about in a mall or at a gym or at a sporting event, and if I hear a, a recognizable Christian song, I'm always very shocked Mm-hmm. Because I know that normally Christian music is played mm-hmm. on a Christian station and secular music is played on a secular station. And so mm-hmm. if I'm doing something out and about and I hear that, or if I'm at a, at a business establishment or something, it is it is shocking. It, it feels like there's kind of this segment one and then the other. And yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or if that's just kind of what's happened. But yeah. I, think, I think it's odd, uh, probably for both. I know there's a band called the Eagle Rock Gospel Singers, which are very new, uh, hipster Americana rock. But I was in Starbucks and I kept hearing their song and I was like, what? What is this? What are they doing? And yet over time, you know, there has been Switchfoot. There's been other bands that are like, oh, well, you're actually Christian. Oh, well, then you're 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 a sellout. So it's very interesting to watch both sides to say, oh, oh, you're you're Christian, as if it's, you know, a shock. I know the the band that I just mentioned, they were called, I think they were called Cloak and Dagger Christians. And when I asked them about it, they said, oh, we don't consider ourselves that. We just play our music and this is what it is. And if it gets picked up by, you know, satellite radio or whatnot, then that's great. But I think the demographic is changing or the audience is changing, but I'm not sure what that means for quote unquote Christian radio or Christian labels. When I think at the other end of the spectrum, uh, you have sort of these kind of freewheeling worship leaders who get big on YouTube, but they're not part of a record label. I know the first time I had heard Corey uh, Asbury's Reckless Love on the radio, it was a big deal because I've known Corey Asbury for a really long time as a worship leader at IHOP and I have his CDs, but I had never heard one of his songs before because he's kind of just like a independently produced worship leader. But this song, like it got tens of millions, I don't even know what the it's up to now on YouTube. It it got huge and so it was actually picked up by kind of quote unquote mainstream Christian radio but it was like a it was like more of a worship song and so like I just wonder is there a difference between sort of like you know worship songs and Christian songs or, or how does that all work yes is my answer yes I think there is a difference and I I think it's always I mean Joel could probably answer this better as a songwriter 
But um, I mean, when I when I started listening, as I said, it was the DC talk, the jars of clay. A lot of the bands that I listened to was punk rock, right? And so some of them you could definitely see had like uh, Bible based lyrics per se. Um, even now in contemporary worship, I call it the anthemic worship, as in it's huge. Like the stadiums will be packed day after day with quote unquote, are we fans? Are we worshipers? So you're saying there's there's kind of you're almost pulled between two two sides like you you could go down sort of the entertainment route or you know even out of a good spirit of trying to say I want to promote I want to sing songs that will resonate with this congregation or you can kind of go the other way and say I'm going to do what I feel convicted for I'm I'm going to sing songs and, and lyrics and and make choices that are I feel honoring to the Lord and honoring to scripture and so how do you how do you do that in terms of worship rather than trying to model the entertainment model that we might see around us in in terms of like a a big name concert how do we go the other way and how do we m- make it worship for me personally i i go very vertical so i would choose my songs that is declaring the name of jesus that is very less i based songs or me based songs it's jesus god father Holy Spirit, those are the songs that I will lean towards using. Um, just because it's the attention is away from ourselves. And I think that is a big thing. It's that we are not singing songs to ourselves. We're singing songs to God. Like that is that's why we like he's worthy of worship. So let's bless his name. Let's give him the praise that is due. That is why we exist. We are there to worship God. And do you think there is a place for some of those songs that have the me and I in them uh, when it's when it's singing devotionally to the Lord? Because, yes, it's about Him. It's about giving Him the glory, especially in the House of Prayer context, when we want to sing vertically. We want to sing songs about the Lord, about His attributes. But then you have devotional sets where often it's about your relationship with the Lord, and you're pouring out your heart and affection to the Lord and talking about how He loves you and and how that makes you feel, and things come out that way. Is that? Do you think there's still a good place in the house of prayer for those songs where you talk about your relationship with the Lord, where it's about you and Him? Yeah, no, I believe that um, singing those personal songs to the Lord is very important because it's a relationship, right? You are connecting your heart with his heart. And the only way for you to express it is sometimes you need to be like, Lord, I love you. You know, Lord, I need you. Lord, you know, I want to be close to you. It's a ongoing conversation where sometimes it is required in those really devotional settings. And sometimes it is, it applies also in a corporate setting. And so sometimes the Lord is doing something completely different where maybe the uh, attention is not necessarily going to be vertical in nature. I think there's a good balance, I think, that is required in worship. And it's not one or the other. I think that um, you can use all songs, but um, I tend to generally focus more on the vertical side of things. So thinking back to the creatives and and how they want to have some autonomy, they want to feel like they're making something new. Like you said, the opposite would be something that feels kind of kind of stagnant or kind of same old, same old. Have Johan, have you ever just been handed a set and been told play these songs? I've had pastors that invite me to the church and they suggest songs. And usually when they suggest songs, it's highly suggested. They're like, well, my sermon's going to be on this, so I want you to set up my sermon with this song because they're going to go together good. And like, I understand some of that, but I'm always shocked when I get it because it's like, 
I just want to engage our hearts with Jesus and get the congregation singing. I, I'm not trying to set up your sermon. I'm trying to worship. So I find that interesting sometimes. Uh, Joel, do you have any similar experiences? Yeah, no, I, I can recall a couple times where um, in the middle of a set, they would come up on stage and they would say, hey, do you know this song? Could you go and lead this song now? And I'm like, I think that's where the Lord is leading us. So can you please do it? And I'm like, I so, you know, in the moment, of course, I'm feeling very, um, a little embarrassed because... Um, you're put on the spot. It's really vulnerable for you to like, well, how are you going to respond to them in the moment? And so, because you, of course, you know, you want to serve them, but you kind of feel pushed in a corner. It's very awkward, but you want to like do it with love and to serve them well. But, but if you don't know the song. <laughs> if I don't know the song, oh, yes. I've had many times where I'm like trying to guess how the song goes. And it just it just turns into a pretty awful situation. I could see that getting frustrating for some creatives, Alyssa. Uh, I remember when you were, when you were all talking. I think of the times when I'd I'd get tons of CDs right, through the mail. Young artists, new artists, and it would be that first CD, or maybe their second. And you'd look at the set list, and you'd be like, "I know all these songs." And then you'd put it on, and you'd be like. These are all the songs that are on the radio or that are like cool and popular right now. So it's almost curious, like, because we always say to young musicians, you know, if you if you're not at the point where you can write songs yet, go cover somebody else's. Right. Because then people will know that. So I, I kind of wonder also, it's like, well, our congregation knows this. This is how they engage. This is sort of like, yeah, easy. As someone in the room, I always love when we have uh, House of Prayer songs that have been written in our context. I know like Johan has a a song that's dear to my heart. The, the chorus is great because it's just, it's it's your son or bust is, is the chorus. We need more of you, less of us. So how they long for Jesus. And it's just a, it was a bit shocking the first time we heard and everybody kind of chuckled because, you know, like it's your son or bust. We need more of you, less of us. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it feels kind of like different lyrics, different mm-hmm. words that you wouldn't normally sing. But that song is so dear to my heart because because that was something Johan wrote. It's not that he was covering a Hill song, although it's fine if he plays Hill song, but he was he wrote the song. This is a song with him and the Lord, and then he's inviting us in. It feels so much. I don't know what the right word is, but invitational maybe as a worshiper to know that like this is something that you birthed in your yep. secret time with the Lord, and you're saying, "Hey, come, and I want to invite you in to encounter the Lord through this song." Versus, like you said, I'm kind of just trying to do something everyone else was already doing. So if there were more people with that kind of mindset where we really value artists that come into our community and want to write songs for for this congregation or this house of prayer, do you think that artists would feel more welcome in that sort of atmosphere? Yeah, I think um, coming to the house of prayer was very different for me. I, I grew up, quote unquote, in church, whether it be big church, small church, you know, but they all had the same worship sets and 20 to 30 minutes. But coming into the House of Prayer and even being on the teams, it was quite different. I was like, oh, you get to you know choose your own songs and there's hours and hours of opportunity for worship sets and you all have your Bible in front of you. Like, this is amazing. So thinking about all these aspects we have going on, whether it's uh, trying to make your own voice heard and not kind of going in a path that somebody else has already done or 
making sure that the room just feels inviting and encouraging and, and those kinds of structures. Those are some pretty big topics. And are there any kind of practical tips just for people out there if they want to make their prayer expression, their praying community more inviting, more welcoming to creatives? Are there just even little things they can do to make it feel like a, a more welcoming space where they can they can grow and they can feel like they can express that creativity? I'd say as a creative person myself, uh, even going into whether it be uh, a job, a career, an industry, I have to know what what they're about, whether it be, you know, what their heart is, what their values are, and also do a lot of uh, research to see what they've done before. And if my, the way I like to create or design, if that will fit into either uh, what they're doing currently or where they want to go. Because really often, I know people do not like change. They say they want change or they see change somewhere else. <laughs> and they actually don't. They may need it. But, um, and to go in, it's. I know it's really hard to try to take your ego out of the picture because you're being hired as a creative or you're being called to a team because of the creative of, of what you're bringing, your skill, your talent, whether it be to connect to the audience or the way that you you write songs. And so not only is there pressure, but you're like, hey, this is awesome. I got this. Uh, so you also have to be able to drop your pride at the door, but to pray about it and to say, okay, God, is this the place for me? Or is this the season for me? Why do you have me here? And then to connect with whoever the the leader is to say, to make sure that you're shared in that vision and in the path that you're going on. Because quite often, yeah, it's the, we don't have the same vision or, hey, I like you. We both like each other, but we're just on different paths or we can't see, see eye to eye. Or maybe what you think is really awesome, great worshiper music maybe is not the same way as as me. So you just kind of have to respect each other. So do you think it's important for a leader to have a vision specifically for their creatives? Yes, definitely. All right. Joel, do you have anything you would like to add? Yeah, no, I think that um, a great way to facilitate growth and community for a creative person is to hear their story, hear where they came from, hear what moves their heart, what's the... What stirs them up? And I think sometimes that is the most simplest tip for anybody. I think um, the creatives just want to be heard. They want to be known. They want to be seen. But I think the biggest thing, they they just want to be heard. And they want to be acknowledged and understood. Um, because I think that uh, sometimes they just don't get the opportunity to share their story or to tell where they've come from. Or like it might heal some like even some wounds or just for them to get some sort of resolution in their heart just to be able to talk about areas in the past where they might have felt neglected or are taken advantage of and i mean this is just coming from me because i'm very pastoral in nature and so like i want to hear and i want to help resolve um any sort of unsettled things in in anybody in especially a creative person because i think they're awesome and I was going to say, uh, even if you are somehow behind the scenes uh, serving as a creative, uh, you know, maybe you're not on stage or your name isn't on, um, you know, the lyrics or whatnot, it's just to know that you're valued by whoever you're, whether it be your pastor or your leader, even to know if you're valued, if nobody ever sees you, that speaks volumes that the area of trust and value, I think, is is huge if you have that. That's great. Uh, this conversation has gone many directions, and it's all really good. I think there's a bunch of things that we can pull out from it. In fact, we probably need to continue this conversation on to the next episode, so uh, we will do that. We will continue this conversation and have another part. 
But as we come to the end of our show, now it's time for... Wait, what does that mean? Today's phrase is fasted lifestyle. So if you are new going into the house of prayer, if you're someone just walking through the door and you heard them using this phrase, fasted lifestyle, Brian, what might you think that the word or the phrase fasted lifestyle means? Well, maybe it's just because I'm bald, but there is this uh, a series of movies called The Fast and the Furious. And um, personally, when I've gone on a longer fast, I tend to get pretty furious. And so um, I- I'm thinking there's some correlation right there. <laughs> <laughs> so you think it means a furious lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. Like when you're fasting, you just get into a bad mood and just feeling a little bit cranky. Yeah, kinda yeah. Ha- kind of hangry? Yeah, yeah. Isn't there a worship song called Furious Love? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's about fasting. Okay. Mm, Awesome. So what's the true definition of a fasted lifestyle, Johan? I think I'll leave that one for you to answer because that's not a phrase that I don't even think it's grammatically correct, Jehu. So why do we use this phrase, fasted lifestyle? Personally, I've been a much bigger fan of the term wartime lifestyle. Uh, Just shout out there to John Piper. But the phrasing, if you've heard either one. Wartime Saskatchewan? Wartime lifestyle. Okay. And so what you do with a wartime lifestyle or a fasted lifestyle is you're living in a mentality, in a, in a budget, in all these types of things where you're saying, my home is not here, my possessions are not here, I'm called to another kingdom, another age. And so you're fasting specific things, whether you're fasting food, you're fasting um, money, you're fasting time, you're fasting all these things to give more to the kingdom of God. Whether that's giving of your time, giving of your resources, it's, it's giving more. At, just like you would during a wartime, you'd have rations on things and you'd have to actually cut back because those resources are needed somewhere else. It's the same idea. Yeah, with a fasted lifestyle. So if we redefine this fasted lifestyle phrase to, what is it, wartime fast, wartime <laughs> lifestyle, would you say? Shout out to wartime Saskatchewan, population War, five. Wartime lifestyle. Does that mean we need to do a whole nother uh, segment on what war style life, war wartime lifestyle is? Because I don't know if I would know what that means. I mean, you just explained it, so I know right now, but... If we redefine the thing, it's just going to make more work for us to tell people what wartime lifestyle means. Maybe we could do a definition of a long segment, like drawn out. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any other great phrases, send them on in because we would love to help define them. Yeah. Yeah. We we do have a list, but... uh, Making the prayer movement simpler. You're welcome. Through more complicated phrases. If your word is better than our list, then maybe you'll get on before the other ones. So, uh, yeah, so for wartime... (laughs) I just wanted to say wartime lifestyle, but the word is (laughs) fasted lifestyle. Now you know what it means. I I, I think I I might actually be a little bit more confusing when we started, but that's it. So, um, yeah. So that concludes this week's episode. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation next time. So... In the meantime, you can visit our website at burningrooms.ca to get more information and and make sure you check out the Shopcast podcast as well at a Sanctuary House of Prayer. It came out October 11th. Uh, It'll be in the show notes. So check that out. And until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Melissa. I'm Brian. I'm Joel. And this has been the Burning Burning Rooms Rooms Podcast. Podcast.